Hi, I'm Marty Grizzani, and this is The Marty Grizzani Show. As a full-time real estate investor and business owner, I have a real fascination of finding the key principles for business success and personal development. This show is a reflection of my personal mission to find out what truly makes somebody successful in business and in life. We will find tools and tactics that they've used to reach those levels. If you're the type of person is not satisfied with average and you have a hunger for learning that will never cease, this show is for you. Welcome to the show. You know, there's so many podcasts where it's like, and welcome to the show. We got a great guest. Now, Jonathan, tell me exactly where you came from, how real estate started for you, which is fine. That's fine. But you just said something that I like to have conversations and I like to do this, Jonathan. This is my show. Just like you have a show. <laughs> this is my show. So I get to ask the questions I want to hear. I don't want to have to ask questions that I just know that maybe a random person may want to know about. Yes, we're going to talk about who you are and where you are and all that. But I like to do it organically, not just. So you said before uh, off camera, you're in Brooklyn. So just people know, because yeah. it's also yeah. very nice to talk to a fellow investor in New York. <laughs> yes, a lot of people absolutely. get the heck out of here. And you're just as we were talking off camera, you were talking about investing in, uh, in a hotel in Penn Yan, which I love Penn Yan, huge fan yeah. of the Finger Lakes. I'm sure you are. Is that, did you get drawn to that or did you know about the Finger Lakes? Did you go there a few times? Because yeah, okay. so I'll tell you how it all started. So the hotel is actually in Watkins Glen. We have a house in Penn Yan. That's it. So, Watkins Glen, still yeah. Finger Lakes, big fan yeah. of Watkins Glen too. So yeah, the way this came about, well, so starting going to the Finger Lakes, actually, it's been a long love affair for me. My best friend from college uh, is a college professor and his first college teaching job was at Hobart and William Smith in Geneva. Yes. And so when I was, I it was like my first year practicing law and I took a, a trip, I took it like my first vacation after I started working was like, I basically went to Boston to see my brother. I went to Vermont to see my, my aunts. And then I was like, Hey, I'm going to go visit John at, at Hobart. Cause I've never been out there. And, and even though it was, it was like almost exactly like this time of year. So kind of like, the foliage was gone and like, it was all just sort of gray and, you know, Northern <laughs> yeah. New York yeah. winter weather, but it was still, but I fell in love with it. I was fascinated, you know, like, like this whole idea of like, I'm there looking over Seneca Lake and, and John's like, you know, that lake is 600 feet deep. I'm like, what? That's <laughs> yeah. crazy. So I started, yeah. I started just getting into it. And then I just started going back regularly. And then after I got married, I took my wife up there and then we just started going every summer and kind of became like the place that our kids knew, you know, as the, like the summertime destination. And I'd been after my wife to like buy a house up there for years. And she was like, I don't want a second house too much work, blah, 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 blah. And then, so <laughs> finally though, um, when, at when COVID hit, um, when we, when we went up to the Finger Lakes for our summer, our annual summer trip, during COVID and it was like the first time that we'd been like sprung from our apartment, you know, it, for any long period of time and we could be outside and everything. My wife's like, we're buying a house. I was like, yeah, finally, finally. So, <laughs> so we bought the house and then uh, once we bought the house, that was in, it was just about two years ago. We started for, for us to get from New York city to, to Penyan. We, one of the quickest routes is to go right through Watkins Glen. 
Mm. And so we would drive through Watkins Glen. And after you leave Watkins Glen, start heading up the hill overlooking Seneca Lake. And like, basically the first time that you can really see the lake at the crest of the hill, there's this old motel there. And it has this just incredible commanding view of the lake, mm. right? It's called the Glen Motor Inn. And I would drive by this place and go, man, like, it's such a shame that this old kind of beat up old motel is in this spectacular location. Like somebody ought to fix that place up. And, <laughs> and I'm not a hotel investor, right? But uh, originally, although it's changing, I'm getting into it now. But okay. um, I, I, so I, I was on, I was just online like, looking for some smaller assets. I was thinking like, you know, I'd like to buy something in New York. I'd like to do something in the Finger Lakes, like have some business up there so I could be there more often. And I started looking for like small multifamilies that maybe I could just buy or maybe just get a couple of friends together, like not do a whole syndication, you know, just like find some smaller stuff. Mm. And while I was doing that, I came across the hotel for sale and it had been on sale for a year and it, they had just cut the price and cut the price and cut the price. And I was like, all right, maybe I should look into this. Right. So I, I, you know, not knowing anything about hotels, I went and found somebody who knew something about hotels and started digging into it. And he was like, yeah, I know. I think this is, this is interesting. And that, that, that guy had done sort of had, and this was just coincidental because it was kind of like a business partner of mine. I asked like, Hey, do you know anybody who's into, you know, does hotels? And he's like, as a matter of fact, my, you know, my wife's cousin and, you know, has a hotel management company. And as oh, it wow. turns out, they had like, they had done a bunch of rehabs already on similar kinds of assets, like old 1950s hotels that were smaller that they went and like totally rehabbed and sold. So he's sort of like the ideal person to, to, to ask about this. So I got him to underwrite the deal for me. And then I just went to like a couple of investors, like guys that I know who can write big checks and who um, I made a lot of money for before. Uh, and I said, Hey, are you interested in this? And they were like, yeah. So we ended up, we actually did the deal for all cash uh, and all the renovations, all cash. Um, and uh, we're in the middle of renovating now. So we took it over in June. We had, we ran it for the rest of the season. Uh, we just shut down like a week ago. And um, I guess, no, maybe at the end of October, we shut down at the end of October and now we're just like heavy into renovation. So uh, it's really, it's really fun. I, I, I really love like that. this project. Yeah. I love that. And and that's, it. it's almost like you were, because this is almost like a driving for dollars situation. Kind of, yeah. I mean, I didn't know it was for sale. and I didn't go and like knock on the door and say, hey, would you sell it? But it was when I saw that it was for sale. And then also, I mean, I'm just like, I, I I can't pass up a bargain. I'm like one of those people. So I like when I saw that it was not only was it on sale, but it had been on sale for a year and they kept on cutting the price and clearly that just said to me that like there was an opportunity there mm. to, to get it at a reasonable price because it needed a lot of work. And, um, and I think that's what was turning people off was just that it needed a lot of work. And, um, and, and it, I mean, we can talk more about my theories about this, this hotel space. I want to hear about but, hotel space because yeah. I, I was just at a, a meetup. Um, I'm a part of commercial Academy and, mm. uh, that's what everyone's talking about is hotels, hotels, hotels. So I'm all in. Go ahead. 
Yeah. So uh, now I'm not talking about hotel conversions. That's something that I do want to get into. Um, and I've been kind of like nibbling around the edges of that with a few, you know, close friends who were, who were experts at that. But this, this, so everybody always asks me, oh, you're doing a hotel conversion. No. And I mean, we're, we're renovating this as a hotel, but I have a, I, so I have just looking at, and this is still fairly limited, right? Cause I'm, I've only been in this business for six months, but the, the opportunity that I see here is this. Uh, there are a lot of these small hotels that are owned by baby boomers and even people who are older than baby boomers. And they, their kids don't want the hotels. The kids have like moved off someplace else. They moved to the big city. They moved to wherever, or they're yes. just not interested in running the hotel. Yes. Or, or maybe they are, but they don't have the funds to do all the CapEx that's needed on the hotels. Right. And so, these assets, there are a lot of them for sale. And there's really, there's really like very limited exit for a lot of these owners, right? Because if you think about, all right, who's, th these hotels are generally not appropriate to put a, a flag on, like a chain, mm -hmm. right? They, they don't meet the brand standards for chains. They're often too small. The rooms are too small. They're too old, right? To get them up to those brand standards would just involve like more CapEx than it's worthwhile putting into them. So you can't, you're not going to sell it to like an operator like that. Who are you going to sell it to? Well, basically, you're going to sell it to like another mom and pop operator. But how many of those are there out there? And how many? You're, and 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 you know, you can think of like, okay, my wife is is an example. Like my wife, like her dream is to to run like a B and B, like a little inn, you know, like you know, like five rooms, six rooms, that kind of thing. But we're we're talking like a forty room hotel. That's right. like a whole different proposition. Like right. it's one thing for you to like retire from your corporate job and like to make a little bit of income for part of the year in in retirement or semi-retirement to like run an inn in a place that you love to be. Like that's one thing. Running a 40 room or a 60 room or a hundred room hotel, that is a full-time business, right? Full-time. And, full and th that takes a kind of like, if you mess up, you really mess up. <laughs> right. And, and, and if you, and if you, and it's just like, it's, it's a lot of work and it's also, it requires expertise. And most people who just like have a corporate job and want to run like a, a B and B don't have that expertise. No doubt. So that, so that shrinks the pool of people even further who want to own these assets. So there's a really big opportunity here in my mind for people who have the ability to raise capital and bring in professionalized management who can run these things remotely, right? Because they can, they they know how to run assets re remotely. Mm. They don't have to be there on site, right? right? Which is already what what I do with multifamily, right? I mean, I buy the asset, I find a management company, they run the thing day to day. I'm overseeing them from a high level. I'm dealing with the investors. You could do the same thing with these hotels, right? But you have to have a, you have to be able to understand how to put together this kind of structure. And on top of it, in the hotel space, right, there are a lot of people who have that skill set, but a lot of them don't want to be bothered with these smaller hotels, right? They want to, they've got their formula, right? If, if you think about like, you know, family, there are families out there that I know who own like dozens or hundreds of hotels, but for them, it's like a cookie cutter thing. Like they have a formula. The formula is like, you know, limited service, branded hotel on a highway, you know, at the interchange, like whatever. And they just, they can just rinse and repeat that over and over and over and over again. They don't want to do like a small tourist hotel in a remote location, 
you know, that operates for six or nine months out of the year. And That's like, a good point. Like all that kind of stuff. So it's so what you're talking about is a limited op, a limited number of people who can buy these assets. Now, of course, on the flip side, that means like exiting. Obviously, you, you're running into the same problem. That sure, may turn, that may turn some people off. But uh, you know what what we're thinking about is actually building a brand here of of you know buying a lot of these assets, and then ultimately the exit is like it's big enough that you can sell. To a bigger investment group, mm. so you've already you've already put together like a portfolio. It's not just like a one-off asset here. You're you're essentially selling them a whole company. So we're trying to work through now how exactly you you structure that because it's a little bit different with a hotel than like a multifamily asset because you have an operating business. You know, multifamily asset you just have an LLC, you run things through the LLC, boom, you're done. Like with a hotel, you have to you really have you have to divide the ownership into like the ownership of the asset. And then there's the ownership of the hotel mm. for liability reasons. So you have two LLCs. Then you've got to figure out like, you know, payments between them. You want to make sure that you, that you really run the LLCs separately. So there's no veil piercing, you know, problem, you know? So it's like, it's, it's a little bit more complicated, but um, not, not, not that it can't be overcome. So. Yeah. And, and I love, and I love that you uh, you're like, yeah, I've been in this for six months and it's like, and you're like, yeah, but I, I took the action and I bought the thing because it, it made sense and you were able to figure it out. And is that kind of your philosophy with a lot of this stuff? It, I mean, yes, you want to be educated, but gosh, you can only educate yourself so much until you got to just start getting after well, it and doing it. You know, it's it's really funny that you mentioned that because I hadn't really thought of that, but that actually has been my philosophy. And it was something that I always would talk about in the multifamily space, like when I coach people who are trying to get into it, you know, like you yeah i would say for instance like you can go and watch like the 75 or 80 videos that i put together on like how you do a multifamily deal right and that and that that's great like it'll get you a lot it'll get you a lot of the way there yes but you're never really going to learn until you actually do something right right like start putting in offers and see how that feels and see what happens when you put in offers and then actually like buy something. Right. And then see all the issues that come up with having bought a property and, and now figuring out how do you solve those problems? Like the, the learning, you can learn a lot through a course, but, and it's great preparation. I would suggest that people do that before just jumping in, but Agreed. like, you're never going to learn as much as you will by actually like being in the trenches and doing it. I agree a hundred percent. I think you got to go like you, you just said it, like getting in the, I think the habit or the routine of making an offer. I've got, I know people, Jonathan, and it's so sad. They'll spend all this money year after year for events and conferences and masterminds. And you'll ask them, well, how many LOIs have you made this year or this quarter? And they'll be like, well, I made one one this year one one loi and i go that doesn't cost you anything to make offers and so i think there's like this thing where people go well they're never gonna accept this offer and i'm like good you know you know i you you don't i mean i'm trying to get this across to people that i'm in a few partnerships right now it's like they go well the numbers don't work i go well what's the number that does work yeah exactly that's what's the number that does work for us I, i go i'm a sales guy I need to complete the cycle. If I'm having a conversation with somebody and I say I want to make an offer to them, I don't care if it's 
absolutely atrocious and it's going to offend them. I need to complete the cycle. Are you, are you on the same page with that? I mean, listen, I can't tell you like how many, it has to happen to me personally, but I can't tell you how many people have told me that, you know, they've, they put in the offer at what they wanted. They didn't get the deal. And then the deal came back to them at the price that they wanted it. Right. Absolutely. So, so it's that the whole idea that like, well, they're not going to accept the offer. Well, they might not accept. Well, first of all, you don't know that, right? Because they might, because you don't exactly. know. Like it, it could be an asset like the one, like this hotel I bought where they didn't get any offers for a whole year, despite, you know, cutting the price over and over and over again. Um, you don't know where sort of where their mind is or what they're, what has actually come through. But the second thing is they, if it's like a call for offer situation, and you're not the top offer, you still may wind up getting the deal because the, the person who put in the, the high, you know, the best offer may not be able to close. Exactly. You got to run them out. That's all. Just run yeah. out the ground balls. I mean, if these yeah. are real solid things that you're interested in and you want to get into this business, you have to do that part. This is the most important part. All the other stuff is, 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 Yes, there's a place for it, but the initial offer, you'll never get a deal if you don't make the offer, right? Yeah, so it, they're never going to come uh, yeah, land on like your desk. The, 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 the answer is absolutely 100% no if you don't make the offer. The <laughs> yeah. so, like the only way you can guarantee yourself a result is by not doing, you know, you can guarantee a no by not putting in the offer at all. Exactly. Well, it's, uh, that's so interesting because, and I'm glad you mentioned that about the the hotel and then or the motel and, and purchasing that um i would have never we would have never have talked about it and especially since it's in you know my backyard in your backyard right mm-hmm. um you know not too too far and uh and i just i love the finger lakes uh, i mean this summer finger lakes time is something very special let me ask you this question because i've been thinking about this a lot mm-hmm. it's kind of like my it's kind of like my uh I don't know how much it makes sense, but it's something I feel deep inside me <laughs> where it's everybody moved away from Rochester, Buffalo, Syracuse, right? A lot of, a lot of people, it's, it's, it's certainly had its, it's tough times. Um, but we have something that not, that Arizona doesn't have a lot of, a lot of big, you know, growing cities don't have, which is fresh water. Do you yep. see where th- that is going to play into people migrating back into upstate or is that, yeah, Marty, maybe in, you know, 2080, that might be something that would be anything. You know, it's funny, but I, I, I do, but I don't know like how how quickly it's going to happen, but I do think that, you know, water is increasingly going to be an issue and, you know, New York not only has water, has a lot of water. I mean, it's got two great lakes plus, you know, Finger Lakes, like Champlain. I mean, there's a lot of fresh water mm. in, in New York State. New York also has hydropower, right? Which a lot of people forget about. I mean, mm. Niagara Falls generates a ton of electricity, and it is not subject to the price of oil. It is not subject to great point. You know, to like some country cutting off our oil or our gas. I mean, it is completely and utterly not dependent on that. And so, you're actually starting to see some companies starting to think about New York more seriously, precisely because of fresh water and power, mm. right? And um, and I think, you know, New York has a really bad reputation uh, in terms of being business unfriendly. But I think the reality on the ground is that things have been changing sort of 
quietly below beneath the surface. And it hasn't really reached a critical mass yet where people are aware of it. But I just the other day met with um, with an economic development um, person for uh, for the Finger Lakes region. And she was telling me like a lot of the stuff that's going on in terms of businesses relocating to to New York. And she didn't have to sell me because we already made the investment, right? It sure. wasn't like she was trying to sell me on kind of applying for certain tax benefits and stuff. But um but the but just in you know in terms of like the the kinds of manufacturing that had been moving back into New York, I was actually kind of surprised because I didn't know about it. And I was like, why is this not more more publicized? You know, mm. but um and and she said the thing about New York is sort of like the top line is bad, but there are so many incentive programs that by the time you kind of like work through all the incentive programs, you can wind up with a pretty good deal tax wise. I just wish they would just make it simpler and from the from the get go, right? Like that would be better than to have to make you jump through all these hoops to get the tax benefits. Just like make the whole thing more streamlined and simple would be preferable. But maybe we'll get there. You know, I think. Maybe we'll get there. As, it's as, someone's as, job, though, Jonathan, to make it complicated. Yeah. They have to have that there <laughs> so that they can uh, they can say why they should get their their income and in, uh, probably a very nice uh, government retirement and everything else. Mm-hmm. But anyway, that's uh, neither here nor there. You know, I really like your philosophy on C class properties. Uh, you spoke on actually a, a friend of mine, Bo Eckstein Show. Um, and you, and you talked about the, the C class being a bit more, or people maybe have the thought that a C class is a kind of more recession proof, uh, mm-hmm. property type. And, uh, and, and your explanation on it was very fascinating. Can you go into that a little bit about how, you know, that that's actually maybe the most impacted. So, yeah, I mean, listen, there, there's, I don't know where this idea came from, but where it started, but it, it's a pretty like common thing to hear in the business, especially in like the sort of guru landscape. Yeah. Um, that like C-class properties are the best place to be in a recession. And it's because of some very simplistic reasoning, which is that C-class rents are cheaper. In a recession, people are worried about money. So then they're going to go rent in a C property instead. Sounds really sounds really plausible, right? Like people want to save money, they're going to go rent in a C property. Yes, uh, and therefore, you know, C properties are 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 really recession proof. The the problem with this with this idea is that it, it's not supported by any evidence at all. In fact, <laughs> that's in fact, the only problem. That's the only problem. Like the only, the, in fact, the evidence is the is the other way around. And uh-huh. and you'll you'll hear this like when you start talking with more seasoned multi class multi family investors. What you find is that a lot of people start off in C because it's, um, you know, the returns look better. On paper, it looks really good. It's also, in some sense, sort of easier to get your hands on these assets because you're not competing with quite as many people for them. And, you know, like a lot of people, that's sort of the, the way they get into the market. What happens is once they operate a few of these C properties, they realize, gosh, you know, they look good on paper, but in reality, they're they're tough to run, and the returns are not there the way that you expect. Unless you just like rehab and exit right and hand and, and hand the problem to somebody else. But you know what what you find is these C properties. You're dealing with the population of people in the United States that doesn't you know they're 
in, even in good times, right? They don't have a lot of like excess money on hand to just help them get through life, right? So when they have any kind of trouble in their personal life, the rent doesn't get paid, right? And and there's and you and there's no one you can't collect it because the money isn't there. It's not like they're just gaming the system. Like the money ain't there, right? So you wind up with a lot of collections problems. You wind up, you know, with a lot of delinquency. And then the prop the properties are older. So on top of that, like you're fighting this rent collection problem at the same time that you've got stuff going wrong on the property that you got to right. fix. Right. And so it's kind of like the worst of both worlds. So what you'll what you find is that a lot of people go through this evolution where they start out with C's and then and then you know they may go through like sort of the rehab. And there are people who just love the rehab business and want to, and that's all they want to do. And they just want to cycle through it, you know, 18 months to two years and just, you know, do that. But the people who want to be like longer term owners, they they eventually come to the realization that yeah, a B property is going to cost you more at the get-go, but the returns wind up being pretty much the same when you factor in all that other stuff, like the collections issues and you know the additional capex. So a lot of people just wind up going to B. Now, that's the general reason why people go to B, but then you want to add in this recession piece to it, which is that, so you're taking this population of people who are already vulnerable, right? Already kind of stretched to pay their rent, just because of basic affordability issues, right? And when you have a recession, those are precisely the people whose jobs get cut first, yes. right? And so they're, you know, what you're talking about is sort of the, the low-level white-collar workers, blue-collar workers, retail work, workers. They're, they're, when, when the corporations are making a decision about, like, who they need to cut to cut costs, they're not cutting, you know, like, you know, Marty – who's got all the institutional knowledge and knows how to run the business. Yeah. Maybe he's making more money, but if, you know, if they fire him, it means that they can't ramp up again when they, when the economy comes back. So right. if they fire, they, they let go all those people who's, who have skills that are very easily replaced and that's your C-class renter. So what you, and if you just look at like the recession, the pattern of unemployment in recessions, you know, your let's say your headline unemployment in a recession is 7%. For your C class renter, it's going to be like 10, 12%. Right. Right. And for your for your B class renter, it might be like three or four percent. Right. So those those renters are going to get hit harder. And and you know, when you if you're saying like, well, hey, you know, my the B class renters are going to come and make up the difference. Well, first of all, the C class renters are paying who are not paying your rent. They may not necessarily be gone. They may still be in the apartments, just not paying you any rent, and you've got several months of time just to try to get get rid of them, right? Then, on top of it, if you think about like, so the B class renters have more cushion, right? So they're even probably they're not going to lose their jobs, but if they do, they probably got enough cushion for them to then pay their rent while they're looking for a new job. And they will find even in a recession, they will eventually find a new job, right? But they have they have the cushion to to tide them over, so they will continue to pay their rent. They're, you know, and um, and then you know the um, they're not going to say like, oh hey, I like my nice B class or B plus you know community in the neighborhood I like with the schools that I like near my job whatever. And I'm going to go move down, you know, 
a couple miles away to this kind of like rundown sort of property just because it's cheaper. Like nobody's made, nobody's thinking that, right? Correct. Even if they're, and, and then you think about, well, sort of in the universe of people who might think that, well, their, their lease has to expire just at that right time, right? For them to then decide to go find that other apartment. So this, the whole, the whole idea that C-class is somehow insulated just because the rents are cheaper, just doesn't actually bear, bear up to scrutiny. And if you look at the statistics, if you look at like the, the, the stats that um, like the uh, census bureau puts out and stuff, you can actually see that like, you know, vacancies go up and then, and then just sort of the anecdotal stuff. And I remember a few years ago when this was being, before the any recession started, but when everybody was like talking about the possibility of being, of there being a recession, like 2018, 2019, I remember going to like my property manager. And this is a guy who's been in the business for 40 years. He was like the president of the National Apartments Association, like, like really, really knows this business. And I said, hey, Mike, I just want to like have a reality check with you because I keep on hearing this and it doesn't make sense to me, but I want your take on it. And I said, do C-class properties perform better in recessions because they're cheaper? And he just laughed. Yeah. Like, it's just like, he's like, no, like, why, why does anybody say that? You don't, you don't hear any property managers saying that. The only people you hear saying that are like people who are either selling you a course right. or trying to tell you why you should be investing in their C-class deal. And, and people who are like operating C-class properties are not telling you like, hey, you know, it, my experience has been that C-class properties are better in a recession than the other ones. So anyway, that was a, that was really long-winded, but that's... No, that's, it's uh, important. And it's really important you mention it and go into it and, and give us the facts because it's super tough, I think, for new people when they see those, like you said, the numbers on the page. They, they, they'll scream at you saying how good this investment will be. So... You know, you, you, unfortunately, I did have to learn the hard way with that because, of course, everyone tells you not to do that, you know, or they'll, they may not say that. They'll say, you know, you, you want to buy in an area that you would like to live in or something along those lines. Mm-hmm. Um, and it really comes back to the just general rule. The golden rule is price is what you pay and value is what you're going to get. And, it's so true with that type of property and especially with the turnover where year over year, you are going to have to just absolutely know, no, no ifs, ands, or buts that if you did a turnover and then they leave in 12 months, you're doing the exact same turnover work again. It's not like it's being left in an appropriate way. A lot of times, unfortunately. Yeah. Uh, You just, just have more issues, right? right. You know, you have the, the turns are harder I think you have um, just like you're not going to get like an A-class property where you're renting to like, uh, you know, some lawyers and some accountants and, you know, people like that. Right. You're not going to get stuff like people getting rid of a baby diaper by trying to flush it down the toilet. (laughs) Right. Right. Right? Like you just don't get that kind of stuff. You don't. Like people just just disposing of their garbage by flushing it down the toilet right yeah it's just but you get in, in a c-class property you just get that stuff constantly right so um so there's just that sort of thing to deal with yeah and, you want to own property where people want to live there and not have to live there right yeah. that's kind of like the main 
the main point of it. Um, I have a couple of questions for you because you've been sure. in this business for a long time. So I, I really want to hear some of these other uh, things being uh, answered. So um, for new people that when they get started, a lot of times they're going to go to these meetups, they'll go to events, they'll, they'll go to these masterminds. Are there strategies that you found that work really well? You know, as like for someone who's new, there's not a lot of confidence when you're entering that room. Yeah, maybe if you know you've done a couple single families, but you're going into rooms with people who just they feel like they belong and you may not feel like you belong. So is there like a strategy that you can think of like, hey, this is this worked really well for me? Was it maybe, you know, just being the one that went up to people and introduced themselves? I mean, it, it can be very tough, though. And I just I don't know if, the, if there's a way that you've done it or have seen that people Hey, this has been successful. This is a, this is a great way for people to connect. Um, I guess what what do you do in those types of situations? Well, I would say a couple of things. The first thing that's really important is for people to understand that it's just natural to feel uncomfortable in the early on, right? Like this is the way. It's not fun, but this is the way you're supposed to feel, right? Like if you didn't feel that way, that there'd be something wrong with you. That's so or, good. Or or you're just like a you have some kind of super special social skill where you just don't feel that way. And then you're, you're one of the lucky few, but for the rest of us mere mortals, <laughs> you're, you're going to walk into that room and you're going to feel uncomfortable and you're going to feel like an imposter. And you're going to, you're going to be worried that like somebody's going to ask you the question of like, how many deals have you done? Right. And, and you're going to not. And, and then like you imagine that, like you're going to say, you know, I own one, you know, short-term rental and they're going to laugh at you and walk away right like it's natural to worry about that the second thing to remember is that that's not going to happen like none of that's going to happen nobody's going to nobody's going to laugh at you like nobody's going to think badly of you for not being as experienced as they are because that's all it is they're just more experienced than you are and they also started where you started so i think it's important to keep that stuff in mind the second sort of strategy is just keep on going until you feel comfortable right the more you go good the more you go, the more comfortable you're going to feel as you get to know people, as you get to understand the lingo more, as you you feel a little more like in control of like your your knowledge grows and you just, you know, like it's like any other situation, you'll get more comfortable as you as you go. And then I think the third thing that you should keep in mind is I think a lot of people go into networking situations with the idea that they're supposed to get something out of the meeting. Like they're supposed to get a business card. They're supposed to get a partner. They're supposed to get an investor. They're supposed to get a certain number of contacts. And if you go into a a networking meeting with that kind of attitude, like you're going to be the guy that like, while you're talking to me, you're looking over my shoulder to see who else is around. And like, that's going to make me think like, Oh, this guy's a jerk. I don't want to talk to him anymore. Yeah, those are the worst. And, and so like you, want to go into these situations thinking about um, what you can offer people. And I'm not just talking about like the, you know, like the typical stuff like, Oh, I can bird dog for you or, Oh, I can raise money for you or like, you know, who cares really? I don't like, who cares? I think about it on a more human level, right? How can you, how can you help the person you're talking to? What is it that they're interested in? I remember I had a really eye opening moment years ago when I first kind of got a little more serious about networking where I went to a networking meeting. It wasn't about real estate. It was just a general kind of business networking meeting. And I was thinking like, man, I don't really have anything to offer. What, what, you know, who's going to want to listen to me. And that particular meeting had what's called sort of structured networking where we actually went around the table and everybody 
did like 30 seconds on who they are and then like something they can offer the group. It could be anything, right? And I, I literally didn't know what to say. So I said, um, I lived in Japan for a long time and I know all the best Japanese restaurants in the city. So if you like Japanese food, talk to me. That's what I said in this business. And I, like five people came up to me afterwards and they were like, oh, I want to know what your Japanese restaurant recommendations are. <laughs> right? That's awesome. Right? And so that's like, that's, that's the kind of thing that you can easily do. Everybody has that. You might not know, you know, one word about real estate investing, but you know something about lots of stuff, right? And you have skills and you have network, you have contacts and there people want to connect on a human level. They don't, you know, everybody there that can talk about real estate. And it's really boring, actually. Like go, <laughs> go and like talk to just try to make a human connection with people. Right. So good. That's so good. You said that because I think a lot of people try to get lost they do get lost in that, the whole shuffle of it all. And, and, and definitely if you're listening to this and you're looking at events or meetups as something that's like you're supposed to get or transactional, that's how you're going to fail. Like if you're just trying to go around and around the room and, and give your business card to everybody, it looks, I don't know, maybe it's just my opinion, but it, it can be a little cheesy almost. It's like make one really good connection instead of, a, you know, 50 like crappy, like just fake connections, one really good connection and, uh, and it will pay for itself yeah. by doing that. But listen, and if you want, I'll tell you like my real networking secret though, if you want to know it. Like yes. this, you could put this on like the paid version of your podcast, <laughs> right? That's it. That's it. The, the premium content. Yeah. Okay. The Patreon. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So the, the, the real, the real, like, um, the real key though, to, to networking it, as it, for the purposes of building a business in real estate, um, is to don't go to someone else's meetup, make your own meetup. Oh, for sure. Be the leader, right? Be the leader of the meetup. And you don't need the thing. I think a lot of people think is like, Oh, if I do a meetup, I've got to, um, provide content or whatever. Like, yeah, you should provide a little bit of content once in a while yourself, but you should just also invite other people in who can provide the content and you just be the face of the, of the meetup. And if you do that consistently, like that just instantly elevates you. A, it, it, everybody knows who you are, right? You don't have to go and like network with everybody and introduce yourself to everybody and go and have a bunch of one-on-one -on -one conversations. Everybody wants to talk to you because you're the person who organized the meetup, mm. right? So that's, that's the the thing. And then my other, my other sort of networking secret is like, well, this probably is better when you get a little bit further along in your business, but uh, once you kind of develop some expertise in, in the business, don't go to the real estate meetups, go to all the other meetups and be the only real estate person in the room, mm. right? Go, go like, go find like the events where, it's like a college alumni event or the chamber of commerce event or like what name it I mean, the, the country, something at the country club or any place that, you know, there's going to be people with money there who might be interested in real estate, go and be the only real estate guy there and talk and just talk to them about what you do. Hey, I do real estate. I could, I help people invest in real estate. Like, guarantee you those people are going to be interested in what you have to say. And you're not competing with like 50 other people just like you in the same room who are trying to do the same thing. And, you know, that, that's what I always tell my students, like go find those rooms where you can be the only real estate person in the room. That is incredible. That's worth it right there. I mean, that's so good. I, I, 
have wrestled with joining like different organizations because it's time, right? I'm doing my meetup. I have one and we, you know, the upstate New York real estate investor group and we do a meetup monthly. I'm doing videos. I do the podcast and I, I'm trying to really give as much as possible. But I, I think you just basically said, well, suck it up, join another group or join another two groups. And um, it doesn't mean you have to go every single freaking event, just one a quarter, you know, whatever, whatever it might be. And, uh, and let people know what you do, because I, I agree with you. I think that's absolutely true that try to be the person or be the person in the room that there isn't another real estate investor or a large multifamily or a large commercial investor. Cause you say that though, when you tell people that is what you do, it's so interesting to them, right? Oh like yeah. It's, it's incredible. And Cause in real estate, the great thing about real estate is like everybody understands it. Right. And everybody wants to be involved in it. And so when you've, You've got people who have some investable funds. They're they're the reason that they haven't invested in real estate is because they it, they think it takes too much work, and and it does if you do it yourself. But if you right. can offer them the opportunity to to do do all the work and they just invest like a stock, they really like that. And there's a, I don't know if you know who Brian Briscoe is. Yes, uh, you know Brian. Um, so Brian posted on his LinkedIn page the other day something that like when I saw it, I was like, oh, I got it. I mean, yeah. It's like one of those things like, yeah, I know this, but I keep on forgetting to talk about it. And what it was is that he was at some kind of event and he met somebody and told him what he does, which is, you know, he's a syndicator and that he makes it possible for people to invest in multifamily passively. And the guy said, wow, I've never heard of that before. That's amazing. Right. And like what you forget is that most of the people in the world have never heard of syndications before. Correct. Right. And that, those are the people you want to be talking to, because if you're like in this world where we're, we all have our, we're talking on each other's podcasts and we're going to the same events and the same conferences and, and we're in the same Facebook groups. And it seems like everybody knows what syndication is about. And we're kind of all competing for those same people. But the reality of the situation is most people have no idea. Mo- most people who are qualified to be in these investments have never even heard of this before. And you got to go find those people because they're just dying to know about this. Right. So, so Brian was like, just so spot on with that, um, you know, with that post. Right. So go find yourself some territory that you can own where you're the only guy doing this. And believe me, like those people are going to tell their friends too. So, you know, that's just really key to, to all of this. I, you just gave probably the best, one of the best nuggets. Cause remember this is the Marty Guzani show. There's a lot of people listening. You've got a lot of value. You're getting a lot of value from Jonathan <laughs> and maybe uh, a dash and sprinkle for me. But the biggest key point for me was, and you know, maybe this is something we talk about off air, but it's, you know, going on because my, my goal for 2023 is I want to be on like, um, I wrote it down somewhere. I think it's like 30 other people's podcasts. Right. Something like that. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be one of another real estate guy and another real estate guy show there. There's definitely value there. No doubt. You should. I mean, definitely you should do this for sure. Yeah. It, it is. It is a good thing to do. That yeah. is for sure. But my, yeah. where, where I was getting at was, would it make sense to then to go on something that's completely different? Like I'm just throwing it out there like a, a, 
uh, home bill, or no, let's just say a dentist podcast, and I'm the real estate strategy yes, guy. Yes, yes, right? yes, yes. Yeah. Like, yes. Is I mean, there a like, lot of those? Like, hey, I wanted to reach out because I don't know if you guys have ever had on a person that talks about, because, hey, I have a I have a few dentists that are a part of my deals on this, and that, that might get the the wheels turning on on other things. Or, hey, I mean, look, you just gave, surgeon. Whatever. You just gave me a great idea. Okay. So thank you, so thank you for that. Like, <laughs> that's yeah, awesome. because... Because yeah, no, I mean, I think that, I think that that's that is a really, I mean, first of all, like, if you all these professional groups, right, they're all interested in in stuff like in, in investing, right? Yeah. Especially if they're they're any kind of like you know higher level, uh, you know, employee or, or or business owner, someone we know with a high income that that needs investment opportunities, and if, if there are podcasts about those things. Um, the, you know how it is to be a podcaster. Like you start running out of things to talk about after a while. Yeah. You want something, you want to give some, some people something new. So to say to them, like, Hey, you know, we're devi- this week, we're deviating from, you know, how you fill a molar or whatever it is that they talk about, or, or like, you know, how you run your practice. So that's, you know, they might be talking about the business of being a dentist, right? That mm. might be interesting. So like, you know, part of the the business of being a dentist is like, what do you do with the money that you make? Exactly. And so I think there's a lot of, there is opportunity there. I think there's opportunity in going on like the general kind of money and wealth shows, right? Yes. There's the, um, there's just, just being creative. I I had a coach years ago, um, this guy named Todd Herman as a member of his program. And one of the things that he always used to talk about, and he's not a, not a real estate guy. He's just sort of general business guy. Um, one of the things that Todd used to talk about all the time, and it sort of relates to what I was talking about before. He said like one of the best ways to develop business is to join other people's programs, mm. like other paid groups. And, and I didn't really get it at the time, like get what he was talking about. But what he was talking, what I now understand what he was talking about was this idea of like getting t- the paid groups are good because it's a self-selected audience of people who are really serious and they're willing to put money up, right? And and so the, you already know that they're the type of people who like invest in themselves. And if it's a topic that's not real estate, then again, like you're the only real estate person in the room. So good. Right. And you're basically in this in this group of like imagine this, you're like in a group of like say online entrepreneurs, right? Who are all like, how do we make money, right? In online business. And then there's gonna always be like the higher level group of the people who are really successful, who are like looking to get even more successful. Like if you can get into some of those groups and be like, okay, hey guys, I'm not I don't really care about online business that much, but I really care about like what you're gonna do with all the money you make. Mm. I'm I'm here to help you with that piece of the puzzle, mm. right? You, you'd be the only person there because they're all like selling their Amazon stuff or whatever it is. And like, you know, nobody's there like, sell, you know, talking about like, what do you do with the money that you make? So right? good. So good. That's the nugget. And that's what we tried to find. And, and actually there was, there was actually a lot of nuggets in this one. Uh, Jonathan, I, I want to be cognizant of your time. So I, I have a, a couple of questions. It's sure. a speed round. Um, but this has been really good. And it's also really nice to, to meet you. First of all, you too. Yeah. I'm I'm happy to meet other New York investors too. Exactly. That's what I mean. I don't get to talk to many. So it's really nice. I thought we were all gone, but we're here. We are here and we're killing it. Um, okay. If there's a metric that you track in your business, uh, maybe it's, well, I'm asking you, what is the one metric you track in your business? Maybe you look at it daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, 
uh, what what would you choose? Oh man, I have to own up to the fact that I'm like really terrible at stuff like this. So <laughs> so am I. That's why I ask. Yeah, I know. So I'm like, <laughs> this is one of those things. I guess you know, there's like different personality types. I'm sort of more like the visionary, yeah, and less of like the 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 integrator type. You know, if you're familiar with the traction model. So I'm I'm I have to confess I'm not really like the tracker. If you're just talking about like habits I've had to develop, I can talk sure. about that. But you know, I I am. Um, I, I just try to be really, really good about sitting down every week and planning my week and sitting down every day and planning my day and then kind of reviewing what I did and what I got done, you know, just so that I have like my, I, I just, and I, and I try to keep everything in one planner, right? So like every random thought I had, I used to be the kind of person that had like, oh, I got a thought and I'd write it down in a notebook and then next thought would be in a different notebook. And sometimes I, I try to like have like different notebooks for different types of thought. And like, you know, and, and it wound up with like, I could never find anything. I'd forget about stuff. The good ideas I had would disappear someplace. Now I make it a point to keep it all in my planner, right? Every random thought goes in the same place. So if I lose it, I'm screwed. But I mean, it's never happened to me, thankfully, you know, but it's all there. And then I can just go back and find it. And, um, and so that, and it becomes part of the review, like even the, the long-term goals and, and just the random ideas that I have become part of the stuff that I'm reviewing on a weekly basis and just helps it keep in my mind. And I find that when you write stuff down and then when you review it, even if you don't consciously like say, okay, this week I'm going to do this, it's kind of weird how these things start to get done. And I'll just give you an example of this. Like long before I became a multifamily investor, I wrote down a goal of becoming a multifamily investor in a, like in a, in a journal I kept in like a new year's resolution. And then I, then I lost that notebook. And I remember when I actually wrote that down, I was literally thinking, this is never going to happen. I will never be able to accomplish this. I'm, I'm stupid to be writing this down. And then Five years later, when I had become a full-time multifamily investor, I stumbled onto this notebook and I'd completely forgotten that I'd written this down. And I was like, what's this? And I opened it up and I looked in, in this like front cover of this notebook where I had written out like my goals and, and I had accomplished like most of them and including become a full-time multifamily investor. So cool. And, and I had totally forgotten about any of these things, right? Or that I'd never written them down. So writing them down is extremely powerful. And when you review them, it's even more powerful. So um, that's, that's maybe one of the best... KPIs that we've got on the show, because I totally agree. And, and to steel man, your point is that when you go and plan, cause I like doing this on Sunday, I plan for Monday or the, at least my week, but I'm also a big believer in just having my calendar, even little things put it in my calendar um, just to remember, but then you can go back the week, but like, so when on Sunday, I'll go back the, the previous week and I'll go through like my wins my challenges and um, in any way, and a couple other things. And then it helps me remember, Oh shoot. I got to reef, make sure I recontact that guy. Like it's in my right. calendar and I'm like, Oh geez, I would have completely forgot about that appointment or, or, or forgot about that follow-up and to put it in my system. So I a hundred percent agree with you. I think that's fantastic. Okay. Um, what's a, a book that you recommend or what's the most recent book that you read business wise or real estate, um, that you would suggest, or even like a book for maybe newer investors that was like a no brainer that people need to read. 
or maybe even a podcast that you've listened to recently that you really enjoyed or even a YouTube channel? So, you know, I, I, whenever I'm asked this question, I always kind of go back to the same book, which is not, it's not really a real estate book, but it's, I just find it so helpful and I'm kind of due for a reread. It is called the war of art, right? It is, it's a play on, the play on the, the the art of war. So you know, good. So good. Yeah. The war of art is a book by Stephen Pressfield. It's a little short book. It's like 150 pages long and not every page is actually full. And it, you can read it in like two hours tops, but the whole, this book is about what it means to be successful as an artist. And in his case, he was a writer, but he talks upfront in the book about how this is applicable to entrepreneurs too, which it absolutely is. And the, the war of art, basically the central message of the war of art is just do the work, right? Like it's going to be hard. You're going to feel like not doing it all the time. And you just have to get up in the morning and do it. And I mean, obviously there's a lot more to the book than that. It's a really great book. Uh, and he wrote another book called, which I forget the title of, which is also great, but it's a follow on to that. But it's just like, it might be even called do the work or something, but it's, um, it's, it's just great. I really recommend this book. If you're, if you're, I think every entrepreneur should read it and you should especially read it. If you're like someone like me, who's like more of the visionary and has trouble getting down to like, I'm great. I can come up with every idea in the world, but it's like hard for me to implement them sometimes because that's not the fun part. The fun part is, is coming up with the ideas, you know, but the, this is all about like, okay, but the ideas are useless if you don't actually make them into reality by just sitting down doing the work. So it's a, it's a great book. I completely agree. And for anyone listening, I would also get the, the audio version because he does it. I believe um, Stephen Pressfield does it and it's just coming from his voice. It's, it's super powerful. So I totally agree with that. Um, and uh, my last question is, well, there's two. Uh, do you, do you spend yearly on personal development is that something that you do do you, is that something that you believe in um and do you um, have like a budget for that like in your personal I, I don't have a budget for it it is something that i do i mean i don't do it every year i do it sort of when i come across something that i think is really going to be helpful or that um that I just is compelling for some reason but absolutely i i've i've spent like thousands and thousands of dollars on on coaching over the course of my life so uh, it's something that, and, and some, and frankly, then some of the, when we're talking before about getting into sort of the, some of those higher level, more expensive groups, I, I, the, the, the only sort of really expensive one I ever joined was Todd Herman's I talked about before. I can't tell you like how many people I are, I use in my business today that I met through that program. Mm. So not so much like, I feel like, oh, I made a ton of money because I, but like, like I've hired like marketing people. I've hired my, my web designer. Like I've hired like all these people from that community because it was a self-selecting group of talented people. And so um, it's that, that I can't calculate what the return on that was, but I know that there was a great return on it. So um, I, I definitely am in favor of spending money. Yeah. I, I I'm hundred percent with you. And, and really it's, you know, Michael Blanc, I went to one of his events and uh, for those who know, apartment syndicator and uh, very well known, but he he was like the people here. This is the bonus. This is the bonus. And I remember him saying that, and I was like, 
And then later on, I go, no, that that is it. That's the most important part. All the other stuff, it leaves your brain literally, uh, you know, a couple of days after. But the people there, you'll always remember and you'll always be able to have those connections. And, you know, and, and it's really the people that when you join a mastermind, the community is the the difference maker. Every mastermind I've joined, I have, I've leveled up my business because of somebody in the community, not, not the actual teacher. Yeah, uh, and, it's, and it's oftentimes like something like when you say it's the people, it's because you're going to be having a casual conversation with somebody there and they're going to mention in an offhand way, something that they do. And you're going to be like, how yeah why am i not doing this right 100%. and like and it's not because somebody on the stage said like oh this is the 10 steps you have to take to be a successful multifamily investor it's because of like somebody saying something like it could be really simple like i had one of these the other the other day it was because of my podcast but again like i met the guy i met him at michael blanks actually um it's georgia brayu and i interviewed him and he's i was asking like how he developed his list of of investors and he, he said something which was like so freaking obvious, but I just never heard. It's like, whenever I go to an event and I collect business cards to give them to my VA and have them into, input them all into my CRM system, and then they're on my list. And I was like, so good. Yeah. Why, why am I not doing that? So now I do that. Like now, and I used to have like these stacks of business cards. Right. Like, what am I doing with these things? Right. I don't have the time to sit there and put them all into my contacts and whatnot. <laughs> so now I just, I, you know, I scan them all to my VA and she does it. And it's like, it's over, it's easy and it's done. And you don't lose all those, those great contacts. And, you know, it's another really, really great tip. And it's something that I don't do and I will do. So that's really, really good. Um, last question for you, Jonathan, if you lost it all today, if you lost it all today, now, what would you do? And, and someone previously was said, um, um, uh, a commercial investor was like, I'd, I'd get my broker's license. He goes, that's what I would do. Uh, but anyways, it, it thoughts on that. I lost it all today. What would I do? Um, and maybe you'd be like, well, I'd probably just go into, I'd, be, I'd go into, you know, teaching. I'd go into blah, blah, blah. Yeah. I don't know if you have anything like that. Yeah. I mean, just like anything in the world uh, that, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, brokers is not a bad idea, actually. I mean, I think I might, I might, I mean, I have a broker's license already which I don't really use. But I think if I, if I did have to, like, if somebody said like, okay, your business is kaput, yeah. got to go and like do something new. Uh, I, yeah, I think actually commercial brokerage would be something that would be interesting to me and, and I'm the obviously same way. I could, could pick it up you know, fast because of my experience. So I'm the, I'm the same way. I'm the same way. Um, well, that is the show for today, Jonathan. Uh, thank you so much. Absolutely. for coming on here. I, um, I know that there's a couple places that people can find you. I know that you have the, um, the multifamily launch pad. Can you explain that a little bit or, uh, where people can also reach out to you? Yeah, actually. So, uh, multifamily launch pad, we just, we literally this week, we've kind of completed our rebranding of that program. So it's now called apartment investors club. Okay. So you can go to apartmentinvestorsclub.com. Uh, there's a free download there that you can grab. Uh, it's a, called the ultimate checklist to how to do your first hundred unit deal with other people's money and get paid to do it. Love that it. is a free download that you've got. You can also join my community on Facebook, which is also the apartment investors club. And if you're interested in investing with me, uh, just Google two bridges, asset management, uh, and I'll come right up and you can fill out the investor form on the, on the page there. Excellent. 
I uh, I learned a lot and I got a lot of good nuggets from this that are going to really help my business. And uh, and just, you know, brainstorming with you <laughs> was also uh, a, a very, very helpful. And uh, I just thank you so much for coming on the show, my friend. It was really, really nice. Absolutely. You. It was really fun. It was great meeting you. And, uh, you know, love to looking forward to getting to know you better upstate. Absolutely. Well, that's the show, boys and girls. Thanks uh, again to Jonathan for coming on to the show. And uh, we will see you next time. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you for tuning into the Marty Grizzani Show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, leave us an honest rating and review. If you're on Spotify, make sure you follow us for weekly episodes.